Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, welcome to the Inspired to Action podcast. This is going to be a great year for the Inspired to Action podcast. We already have a couple episodes recorded with some people you might know like Sally Clarkson and Beth Moore. And today we're chatting with Jess Connolly and we're talking about how we can live free of other people's expectations and and how to let go of the expectations that aren't life-giving for you or your family. Jess is also going to share some tips on finding freedom in motherhood now, not just when our kids are at school or out of the house, and practical ways that we can shorten our to-do list with an I don't do list. I love that particular tip because I definitely have found a lot of value in an I don't do list. I've heard Jess share about that before, and I've implemented that in my life, and it is so incredibly helpful. So I think you guys are going to love this episode. But first, I have a couple quick announcements for you. One, if you are not familiar with my other site, hellomornings.org, I would love for you to hop on over there, check it out, sign up for our three-minute morning challenge, and come be a part of our community. It's a website based all around how to help you build a life-giving morning routine. And if you don't already know this, I'm working on a book for it that's going to be released in January of 2018. So very, very exciting. It's a ton of work and we have a fantastic team at Hello Mornings. We have group Bible study sessions. We have a thing called the three-minute morning challenge to get you started or to get you back on track. It's an amazing community, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. So head on over to hellomornings.org. All right, let's jump into our chat today with Jess Connolly. Hey, Jess, welcome to the Inspired to Action podcast. Hello, hello. So happy to be here. Um, I would love just to just dive right in here. And first and foremost, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about your family. Just give us an inside scoop on on who your family is, what it's made of, and maybe a little quirk about each of your family members. I love it. Oh, that's so fun. Okay, well, we are a large family. I mean, you know, comparatively, we have four kids. Um, and we live here in Charleston, South Carolina. My husband is a church planter, and our kids are nine, eight, seven, and three. So um, our first three are Irish triplets. They <laughs> are all 13 months apart on either side. Um, and that makes our family a little bit unique. I mean, in general, as they've grown older, like, they're, they're all about the same size. <laughs> they are very similar. They're very close. Uh, they're usually very close in like physical proximity to one another. We say we like can't get them off of each other. They just, they like being near to one another. Of course they fight all the time too. Um, but what makes each of them unique? Well, my, 
My nine-year-old is classic firstborn. He's really responsible. We like to say he it's kind of like he's raising the family with us. We <laughs> had him. Nick and I had him when we were pretty young ourselves. Um, How old were you guys? I was 21 when I got pregnant with him. So um, Nick and I got married really young. I was only 20 when I got married um, and got pregnant really quickly after we got married. And so... Um, yeah, we, we kind of say like it's it's kind of like the three of us running the home, me and Nick and Elias, and he keeps us um, he keeps us on track. <laughs> um, Gloriana is our second born, and she is eight. She's our only girl, and she's just the wildest, funnest girl you could ever imagine. Um, when people say to me like, oh, I bet she's, you know, just like you were when you were a kid or she's just your twin. I just think like, you have no idea. Like, I wish I could have been as like fiery and, and free as Gloria is because, um, she just marches to her own drum and it's, it's beautiful. Um, Benjamin is our seven year old and, he's a classic middle child. I mean, there's you, there almost anything I could say about him. You'd be like, well, that's how middle functions. Um, he's like pensive and emotional and probably the closest to what I was like as a kid. Um, you know, really wants to keep the peace, but also is like, does anyone hear me at all times? <laughs> I feel like it's pretty much what he's saying with his life. And our, our youngest, our baby is Canon and he's, three rounding the corner to four and he's literally just we named him cannon and he is a cannon he's like a cannonball firing into life at all times he's constantly moving um constantly talking always saying something always doing something and he keeps us on our toes for sure isn't it amazing how children who were all born to the same people and have lived in the same home and experienced the same parenting can be so completely different Yes. It yes. boggles my mind sometimes how different. I only, yes. I only have three and they are, I don't even know if I'm using the right phrase. No way. I, I was going to sound smart and say something like, and they are diametrically opposed. And then I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. I, I can't it. say that. That's what I do. They're completely different. <laughs> They're completely different. Now it. I'm super surprised uh, that you would say that you as a child were more like Benjamin and you yes. wish you were more like Gloriana because yes. as an adult, um, that's not how I see you. So I know. Tell me I a little know, bit I about that, that journey. Yeah, I. I mean, I would say you know, you know how you kind of constantly want to like convince people of who you are. Like, I think that's like a natural tendency in all of us. That I think that's why people like the Enneagram and stuff like that because we want to be able to say like, look, this is who I am. Um, but I mean, I have that a lot where I would say people look at our life or look at my ministry, look at our books or our businesses, and might think I'm like a very um, you know, like confident, headstrong, um, you know, I, but that is not my story. And that's not been my story. I would say, um, I tell people a lot, like I, when, when I say they would have voted me least likely to achieve something, I, I a hundred percent mean it. Like that's, that's what I came from. I was really, um, I had no vision as like a kid and a, and a high school. I was, I was a high schooler who was like, Oh, college. Like I didn't even think about it until like halfway through my senior year, all my friends were getting accepted to schools and like dreaming about their future and what they wanted to be. And I literally like, just didn't think I was like, Oh, I guess, I guess something's going to happen after this. <laughs> um, 
I, and I was, yeah, classic middle child, really quiet, really pensive, um, you know, kind of like thought heavy things all the time and had heavy emotions and kept them to myself and hung out in the rec room by myself, like eating bagels and hiding from the world. And I don't really know what flipped that switch for me. And, but it was later in life. I mean, up until, um, 26, 27, I really felt like, you know, I, I would say like, just kind of like happy to be alive. Like, well, glad to be here. Like I didn't have any kind of intense sense of like destiny or things I wanted to do or purpose. I just was like going with the flow. Like, Oh, people seem to be getting married. I'll get married. People seem to be having kids. I'll have kids. Um, and I don't, I don't super know what flipped to me, but I would agree that that is not the perception now that is like that you would necessarily imagine, but that is, that is really like who I was. And that's a part of who I am for sure. That's so interesting because you said you had, no vision. And I happen to know that you, to relax, you like to plan. Is that I correct? Do. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow, there was definitely a shift in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it honestly came through like postpartum depression after um, having our third kind of like a breaking down to be built back up. Um, but I kind of reached the end of my rope and like, then kind of ask the Lord, okay, like who actually am I? I think that maybe I've never really asked that question or kind of addressed that. Like, who am I? And what am I here for? Um, and, um, found out like, Oh, I like to plan. I like to schedule. I like to cast vision. I like to try things. Um, but I wouldn't have ever really known that about myself. So did you figure those things out because you just sat and took the time? Did you take an Enneagram test or a Myers-Briggs or something? What were the maybe the little mini steps that you took to go from yeah. kind of having a breakdown to becoming really the visionary person that you are? Yeah, I would say counseling helped a ton. <laughs> I mean, I um, I wish it could have been as easy as like taking an online test and being like, oh, this is who <laughs> I am. But I would say counseling helped a ton to, to realize that I think a lot of the identity that I was like working out of was um, like hurt and um, you know, lies that I believed about myself or things that had been put on me that I didn't really, um, but I didn't, I didn't really even resonate with. Um, and so I think kind of as I pulled some of those things off, there was this more pure essence of like, Oh, I think this is who I am. Um, I think this is what brings me life. And um it's funny. I went on a run today and I was thinking, um, I was thinking about running, but I would say like running as an example, like my whole like teenage years, early twenties, I never really exercised unless it was like a focused intention to lose weight. So that's what I saw exercise as like you exercise when you've eaten too much and that's it. Um, and the first time I really went to counseling after struggling with postpartum depression, my counselor suggested that I start running. She was like, I just think it would be good for you to go out of the house every once in a while, like have some time to process. And I was like, do you see my body? I'm like <laughs> five, four. I have like, you know, I'm very curvy. I was like, I'm not a like runner. I, I, I don't know why you suggested that, but she was like, I think it would be good for you. And the first run I went on, I ran nine miles. Are you serious? I'm. I'm dead serious. My first <laughs> ever like, legit run because I started taking a few steps and I, I didn't know that you were supposed to go fast or slow. So I just did, did what my body could do. Mm. And I found so much freedom in like the, 
the ability to process and pray and kind of be by myself as my feet moved. And, um, I think, I think running kind of brought a lot of that out for me. It was the first time I really set a goal and said like, okay, well maybe I'll train for a race. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll keep doing this to like, to keep my body healthy, but also to keep my mind healthy. And then as my mind and my heart got healthy, then like, Oh, what do I want to do? What goals do I have? Mm -hmm. What, what things might I be here for? So, um, but I think running is the exact perfect example of that because I mean, I was the least athletic growing up. I was the last one, um, that anyone would have picked for any group sports ever. Um, and lo and behold, I like love running. I love exercising. I love doing it, not just to lose weight and keep my body, whatever it needs to be, but you know, to like partner with, um, life giving things and moving forward and growing and, um, and not just staying stagnant. I love that. I think that's so hopeful for so many of us who, whatever the the topic is, whether it's exercise or whether it's planning that how we are today doesn't have to be how we always are. There can be a shift. There can be another version of us. And I have to just completely agree about running. I don't I always love the actual moving part of running, especially when yeah. it's cold, but yes. to get out there and just, especially in today's culture that is so fast paced and we always have something we can fill our time and space with to have that, you know, just that freedom to just be with our thoughts and you're kind of yes. forced to be with your thoughts. Yes. And I, you know, I think just things process through our brains that might never get to the forefront. And I've I've had my best ideas. I've had my most freeing thoughts. I've had some of my sweetest times with the Lord's when I've um, been running half of it, you know, because I'm like, Lord, get me to the end. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I I did the exact same thing today. And I mean, I think also most runners will say they don't like wake up and think like, well, I can't wait to do that. But something in them knows, like, I know that this is where it gets good for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go. I'm going to go today. And I've never regretted a run. No, mm-hmm. never, never. Um, yeah, I was about to go on a tangent. Whenever I leave the gym in the morning, I always see this little exercise group outside in the parking lot. They get together and they're like doing all these exercises together. And I'm like, that's that's like my nightmare. I love <laughs> exercising alone. So I can have those thoughts. Yes. The idea of like exercising with people when somebody is talking to me and yelling at me is yes. the opposite of how I, how I operate. So I think we're a little bit. Uh, alike in that realm. There's nothing better than exercising alone. So you, would you say that in those early years, you were kind of living your life with other people's expectations and and Uh, not necessarily your own vision, but theirs. A hundred and ten percent. I like to say that I was, um, the runaway bride of women's ministry. Have you ever seen (laughs) the movie runaway bride? (laughs) Many times, many times. Okay. Well, it's the best. And you know, in it, like Julie Roberts doesn't know what kind of eggs she likes. And (laughs) I think that is a hundred percent who I was amongst other women. Um, specifically around other women. I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know what kind of woman I was. I didn't know what things I liked to do. I didn't know what my gifts were. I didn't know what I thought about certain things. And my husband and I moved a lot in our early marriage. So a lot of like early adulthood forming years were spent kind of going from community to community and adjusting and just kind of saying like, okay, well, it seems like in this community, they do this. And in this community, they do this. So I'll just, I'll just constantly adjust. I'll just constantly kind of shift to their version of what a good woman looks like. Um, and I would say that is definitely a huge part of what led to my 
like mental breakdown, struggle with depression is that I, um, I moved to one more community and thought I just can't do it. Like, I, I don't know that I can do it this time. Um, and I think the Lord kind of used that breaking to say, okay, well, if I'm not any of those things, if I don't like my eggs, any of those ways, um, who am I, who did you make me to be? I think that the, the idea of living up to other people's expectations might get kicked to the next level when it comes to motherhood. Um, yes. <laughs> I was yeah. talking with my friend Summer Ellis a while back and we were talking about how it's so hard and so freeing to be able to, but so hard to get there to figure out what kind of mom you are. You know, I, I so know hard. what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I just don't even try to plan a good party. I will just pay the person at the jumping place, whatever they want. They I can take it. care of it. Party planning is not my thing. And it took me a long time to get there. So where in the, you said at 26 or 27, you, you were, you were at your third child when you kind of had this shift. So what did those first couple years of motherhood look like? And how has that shift impacted your most recent years of motherhood? Oh, man, that's, that's such a great question. And, you know, one that I don't think I've thought about in a long time. Um, they looked really <laughs> sad. <laughs> they looked really sad. I, um, I, so I had the kids super close together and I, and we had this very easy, very manageable first baby. So I would say my, my first baby motherhood years were really happy and really sweet. My first year, year and a half of motherhood, um, was really easy. And I thought, um, I didn't know that I had a good baby. And so I just thought I'm good at this apparently. <laughs> like other people are so stressed about being a mom, but it's not hard. So I'm good. <laughs> I didn't know I had like a miracle baby who slept through the night, you know, almost immediately. And, um, I didn't know I, none of that was about me. So I just thought I must be really good at this. Let's do it again. So we got pregnant very quickly. And in the midst of our, um, pregnancy, Oh, speaking of pregnancy, daddy <laughs> will help you get socks, buddy. Where is he? He's downstairs. He'll come help you, okay? I have no idea. Okay. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's real life. Um, but, um, yeah, so we got pregnant with our second and was so excited and, um, and just thought, well, good, let's do this. Let's do this again. Um, and then our second baby was like, the worst baby. I mean, just really almost impossible to handle and impossible to manage and, um, had all kinds of health issues and didn't sleep until she was 18 months old. And so I thought, well, I must've broken it. Um, so at that point I just really started striving and trying to fix myself. I, I became a constant Googler. Like what can I do in our diet? What, how can I make our home cleaner? Um, you know, what kind of strategies am I not doing right? I read every parenting book that there was. I started teaching my kids just copious amounts of scripture, even though they were one and two. <laughs> um, and I just tried to make it as like tidy as I could. I was on a constant quest to be better for sure. And, um, and, and the third one only even more so, I mean, just how can I, how can I, do this really, really well and produce this really, really good thing that the rest of the world can see and, and see that I've done a good job. Um, and I would say how it looks differently now is, um, I walk in a lot 
a lot of freedom. I would say to the point where it's maybe jarring for other people about things that I do do and I don't do. Um, I, my particular motherhood and family doesn't look like anyone around me that I know, anyone around me that I know. Um, and I've just learned to like really find comfort in the Lord's approval and no one else's. Um, all of the things that were really important to me have pretty much all shifted. I mean, I would say there, there's like, there's some good pillars of, of parts of my motherhood and my family that have stayed true, but a lot of them have shifted. Um, and I have to adjust all the time. And so I think part about part, the, the good part about living in kind of freedom and humility about looking to the Lord is that when you do have to adjust, it's a lot easier when you have to say like, Oh, we've messed up this thing that it's a lot easier to just say like, Oh, whoops, our bad. We messed it up. We'll try again. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than I'm not what I thought I was supposed to be. I'm not doing it right. Everyone else is doing it better. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a different world. And when I, um, I, in our church, in our church plant, we are, there are a few other moms who have kids my age, but, but typically my kids are the, are the oldest in our church, which is interesting. Um, but there's just a slew of moms who only have one or two, um, small kids. And when I go on walks with them or when I go to coffee dates with them, like I, I just feel for them because it's such a heavy season of, of exactly what you said like motherhood is this like massive um identity crisis where you're you just spend a few years like who am i i mean i thought i knew who i was but now i have this whole nother category and all these different um barometers that i have to live up to and it's it's terrifying and it's so hard when i think once you get into it, you know, our, our kids are both a little bit older and, and the journey of motherhood obviously keeps going. And then once you hit the age of your kids starting to go off to college or, or even now I'm beginning to enter the season of, well, maybe, maybe I'm on the brink of it. I can see it in the future of my kids is needing me a little bit less. And, and then we get lost in that fog in the middle of it of, you know, well, who am I? I'm a mom. Uh, what is my purpose to be a mother? And and it's just becomes kind of all focused around that. And then they start to go off to college um, or, yeah. or, you know, get a job or whatever it is. And then we're kind of left with this emptiness of, wait, I thought that's what I was. But yes. now am I not that anymore? Yeah. What, what would you what would you um, speak to moms who, who might be kind of in that season? But then also, the, you know, just those younger moms who are starting to claim that identity. Yeah. Um, I wrote this blog post about, uh, maybe about a year ago, almost two years ago. And it was, it was kind of my exact answer to that question. I wrote about, um, during that kind of broken season where I was like asking the Lord, who am I, who have you made me to be? I went to, um, homeschool mom seminar, which at the time I was homeschooling and, um, I'm not anymore, but I remember, um, the leader of the homeschool mom seminar was an older woman in her sixties and she had had a ton of kids and, um, had homeschooled them all. And so they had just kind of just started to get out of the house. And she was talking about how she had just started going to dance classes and, um, and how it was so life giving and she was so happy and she was finally getting to dance. And I need to tell you honestly, what I said in the blog post was like, I was so sad for her. Because, I mean, I'm so blessed that she can dance, but I just was thinking like, Lord, wouldn't it have been so much healthier to like spend an hour or two a week 
dancing that whole time. Mm. Like wouldn't have she, she, did she miss just like 30 age 30 to 60 of these like really danceable years <laughs> where like, wouldn't her motherhood have been better? Wouldn't her homeschooling have been better? I'm not talking about leaving her family and forsaking them and going off to be a Vegas showgirl. Um, And I think that, let's hope not. And I think though that a lot of times when moms describe like going to take an hour to write or going to take a dance class or starting to run or meeting up with some friends, that's how they feel. They feel Mm -hmm. like they'd be literally like forsaking their family. Um, but I, I just, I don't have the perspective of 30 years from now, but what I want to be able to say 30 years from now is maybe sometimes the laundry didn't always get done and maybe we didn't eat really inventive meals. But when you walked down the stairs in the morning, I was happy to see you. Mm-hmm. And when you went to bed at night, I thought about how I was going to miss you. And for me, but really when I look at most women, I feel like that would happen so much easier if we took just a little bit of time to dance. Mm -hmm. And um, whatever that looks like, you know, if that's like, I I mean, I don't know why I keep coming back to the laundry, but I don't know. It's this, it feels like this weird altar that we all worship at, like getting the laundry done. When it's like, what if we just kind of like shook our heads and swallowed whole, like it's not going to get done. (laughs) It's not going to be done. (laughs) Everyone else in America is struggling with it. It's not going to all be done. So why don't we just get enough done to, for everyone to have kind of clean clothes and do whatever it is we need to do to also have healthy souls Mm -hmm. and, and be happy when our kids walk down the stairs in the morning. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I would say, you know, it's not too late to dance if your kids are going off to college for sure. It's like for sure. Now's the time to dance. But if you have a one year old, if you have a two year old, like if you can, if you can just go ahead and let go of the idea that you're going to have it all together or that that's your job, it's really not like, I think even just defining what's my job here. Like, what's my goal here with this home? Is it, um, is it to like produce a really tidy product? Is it to produce like however many um, very, you know, normal and socialized children? What's the goal here? Or is it just to like glorify God and help the people in my home glorify God? And what does that look like? Um, I think that that would just be so healthy for us if we could like answer that for ourselves. So good. You know, and I think a lot of times we, we imagine that dancing then requires, well, if I take a dance class, then eventually I'm going to get really good. And so then we need to join like a dance <laughs> company and then I'm going right. to need to go professional. And then what am I going to do with my kids? And if we just can, can, it cannot be so all or nothing. If we don't mm-hmm. have to be perfect, if we can just allow ourselves to dabble in seasons when that's all we have. Uh, we can keep that flame alive because I think otherwise, especially in those hard early years, we can kind of put that flame out and we can forget the things that we were passionate about. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think too, there's also a thing where a lot of moms might be saying like, but what if I don't even know what I am passionate about? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even know what that is. And I would say like, Oh man, what better than motherhood to help you know what you're passionate about? Like, um, I, most of the things that I'm doing in life, I wouldn't have even cared about had I had, had I not had kids, you know? Um, 
our business where we are like writing scripture on people's walls. Like we wouldn't even care about that. I wouldn't even care about that if I didn't have kids because I wouldn't need scripture. Um, and writing books towards women, I, I don't think that that would mean as much to me um, if I didn't have a daughter. And so a lot of times if I'll talk to women who don't have kids and they say like, oh, but I just, I have so many things that I want to do with my life. And I have so many, you know, I really thought I was going to like do these things that I think like, oh my gosh, you, you should have kids and still do them. Or you should have kids and then see what, what really matters to you. Because it may be a whole new set of things that like you have to do, or you really feel called to do, um, to shift the world that your kids live in. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I found that motherhood has been one of the most refining things in the true sense of refining that the things that I there were a lot of things that I thought I cared about and I thought that were really important to me. But when you have the test of motherhood and the time constraints of motherhood, all those things that aren't truly your deepest, truest passions kind of all just flitter away and you realize because you have so little time what you're really and truly passionate about. And honestly, I don't think anything I do today would be anything I ever would have thought of 20 years ago. Ditto. Ditto. Absolutely. So when we're talking about this idea of unrealistic expectations, obviously it permeates being a woman, being a mom. What is the root of the whole concept? Where Where did it all come from? Why do we have them? Oh, unrealistic expectations, and why do we have them? I mean, do we want to start in the garden? Yeah, go for it. Let's <laughs> just go. Let's like just probably. go back to the beginning. Um, I mean, I think for sure, right? They start in the garden. The very first thing um, that the enemy does with Eve is he tries to convince her there's something better, like that God has a better plan for her. And um, really, God gave Eve these really simple instructions that were like, enjoy me, enjoy the world, don't touch this thing. And say like, but did he really say that? And is he holding out on you? Um, And so I think that that's still a very pervasive issue that we um, have to answer today. Like, is God holding out on us? Is there more than all of this that we see? Um, and, And I think that absolutely leads a lot of us to comparison. Um, and, but why I think we're dealing with it in such a strong way right now, because I do think, um, I don't know about you, but I, I, I talk to older women a lot and I say like, are we nuts? Like, why is this such a thing? Like, did you feel how we feel? Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the like really funny, cool art. (laughs) I love, I think they're funny and cool. Maybe other people might not, but, um, articles out like, you know, what motherhood looked like in 1980 or what motherhood looked like 1967. Like, I love those articles and I can't get enough of them. I don't think I've who, seen them. I think I'm going to need a link oh later. Oh, my gosh. You're, yes, I'll, I'll send you a funny one. There's so many great ones. There's one that goes around, I feel like, every summer that's like, hey, this is what it looked like to be a mom in the summer in like 1980. Like you know, you basically like woke up and handed your kids like a powdered drink <laughs> and said like, bye, go away. <laughs> And you sat on the phone all day talking to your friends and you maybe did some laundry or you ran some errands, but your kids were gone because they were in the neighborhood and they entertained themselves. That's pretty much my childhood. Yeah. Yes. You didn't like plan play dates. You didn't do Pinterest craft with your kids. Um, You know, you had like meaningful conversations with them, but mostly you were like, get out of here, go have fun, go be a kid. Um, I I find so much freedom in those kind of articles. And when I talk to, um, to women like our mom's age and just say like, are we just nuts? Like a lot of them will say like, yeah, you guys are nuts. Like you're really running at like a crazy breakneck speed. Um, and I think it's just this really kind of backwards, um, 
like say ministry, like ministry of addition that I think that, um, we've, we've experienced so much freedom as women of God. And we've experienced so much freedom as women in general, um, in the last few decades about what we can do and about what we're allowed to do and about what spaces we're allowed to be in this world. I cannot be more grateful for those things. Um, but I think we've just missed the really big point that just because we're allowed to do something and just because we get to do something doesn't mean we have to do something. Mm, so and just because we're allowed to do something and we get to do something doesn't mean we have to do all the things mm-hmm. and that we have to be the best at them. Um, I just, I, I know that there's something in women that says like, not only am I going to be on the PTA, I'm going to be the best dressed person on the PTA and I'm going to attend the most and I'm going to make the best, I'm going to make the best dessert. None of us sign up for PTA and say like, well, I'll come when I can. And, you know, I'm totally fine with buying store-bought donuts on the way if it's my turn for snack, you know. But so I just think that's a really interesting thing um, that we have to pay attention to. Like we're already kind of working with this curse from the garden of is God holding out on us? Is there more for us out there? Are we doing enough? Are we experiencing all that there is to experience? And then you add on this really interesting season of addition where women can add things on and we, and we, we aren't great at subtracting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what are some yeah. practical ways then that we can fight that, that we can break free from that? Um, I think you started off so well by saying like, you know, you know what kind of birthday party mom you are. I think having an I don't do list is just a genius way to start. Um, Things that you know, like this isn't, they're not bad. It's not bad for other women to do them. I just don't feel called to do them. If, if every woman had an, I don't do list that they really stuck to, I think we would be so much better off. Um, I'm with you on the birthday parties. I say, not only do I not do like, not only do I not plan them myself, we just decided somewhere along the way, we have four kids. My sister is about to have her sixth is that right? Her six kids. Wow. So between my kids and my sister's kids, there they are 10 of them under 12. And so we don't do birthday parties. We get together with our cousins and that's what we do. We I have a family it. birthday party and that's it. And my friends have great kids and they, I mean, they have, my friends, my kids have great friends and also my friends have great kids and we love getting together with them and we'll go to birthday parties if we have time. Um, but we've just said like, you know, I don't think 50 years ago this was a thing. And so we're just not going to believe that it has to be a thing for our life. Now, I know a lot of moms who find so much joy in planning the funnest birthday party. And I say, like, do it. Mm -hmm. Totally go for it. Because I want to go to that birthday party. For sure. For sure I want to go to that birthday party. I want you to know I might not buy a gift. I'm not 100% (laughs) serious. And I feel okay about that because, you know what, we have budget goals and we have things like that and we have to stick to them. And I, I don't think we can like specifically for our family, we've kind of had to say, say like we can't enter into this culture ex- expectation of a $20 mm-hmm. gift every time one of our friend's kids has a birthday. Um, but you know what? People don't care and they don't really notice that you don't buy a gift. And a lot of times I think we're all getting better at saying like, don't bring gifts anyway. So that's good. Um, what else is on but, your don't do list? Yeah. Other things on my don't do list. Okay. I don't use real dishes. Uh, like, maybe one night in a month I will use real dishes and otherwise I use paper plates because I just, it's just too much like after school activities and homework and having like an intentional bedtime. I can't also do the dishes. You know, I'm okay with it. 
I, I think I, that inspires me because lately I've been thinking about, don't tell my kids, I've been thinking about getting one set of dishes for each member of my family. And that's what we have. And if they want to eat the next meal, they need to clean their dish to their sufficiency level. That's Um, genius. Because otherwise, everybody uses 12 dishes for every meal, and I'm always doing dishes. And their chore is to empty the dishwasher, and they don't always do that. So then the dishes pile up, and I refuse to empty the dishwasher because it's not my chore. It's not your job. (laughs) And it just blows up. So I love that. Maybe maybe you've just pushed me over the edge to to take that off my list. I know it's not the most... um, environmentally conscious and I just I like literally just try to make up for it in other ways where I can and recycle well and know that there's going to be a long season of my life where I'm going to only use dishes that I can wash myself but for mm-hmm. right now it's just season. not happening mm-hmm. it's just not happening um what are some other things around my don't do list I mean I I don't cook um when I said that I, that my version of motherhood is very I feel very free and it's sometimes like offering to other people. Um I don't cook. My husband cooks and I also don't do the laundry. My husband does the laundry. I don't do and, laundry either. Oh Jimmy. So maybe for for those of you listening, this might be helpful. I did a time assessment a couple of, uh, I guess it was actually last year. And I just sat down, I was like, why do I feel so pulled in so many directions and like I have so little time to even sit down and watch a show or read a book and so I just tracked my time for a week of what I was doing and then I looked at it and I was like wow I didn't realize I spend two and a half hours a day just taking the kids to and from school or yeah. whatever and so then my husband looked at it and he's like wow maybe I should do laundry so there you go if you're listening right now so good do a time assessment and there is a chance that your husband will then just be inspired to take over the laundry um, and I get that there are some husbands who are like no that wouldn't work for me and, I, and I'm right. not I don't think you should feel shamed or anything like that um, but I think a lot of our husbands if we said if I mean, I think even if you just cut to the chase and said, you know what, I think I'd be a lot more available to like cuddle with you at night, hear about your day. Let's go ahead and go there and say like, have better sex. If I was not up until 11 p.m. every night folding stuff, I think they'd be like, here, let me, (laughs) let me take that, please. Um, I find most husbands are just dying for us to ask them for help. Like they just want us to ask them for help, you know? And I, I, you know, and I think just them seeing where all your time is going um, can have, you know, it it can be huge because maybe they're not seeing you at the times when you're doing all the things. And so they don't realize what you're doing and how stretched you are. And uh, one, one thing on our don't do list that none of us do is we don't do socks. We have a laundry basket and it's kind of like the morning game. You go search for your socks that may or may not match. And we just don't care if our children are wearing matching socks. So that's so good. You know how I think about laundry people always like, um, kind of like hate on ourselves about like not putting up the laundry. I just feel like that's a thing. A lot of women say like, Oh, I can, I can do the laundry. I can fold the laundry, but then it's going to sit there for two weeks. My husband and I decided, you know what? Our kids wear uniform. They're in public school, but they wear a uniform at their public school. We just decided like, Hey, instead of feeling bad about always having these uniforms, like folded every single night on our kitchen table, what if we just make a space for them and we don't put them up? Mm-hmm. So we bought a special bin for each of the kids. And now every that's where since we're going to fold the laundry downstairs while we watch TV or while we talk to them, we just go ahead and keep the clothes down there and we don't even put them in their rooms. So it's, it's just like one less stress. People can't see it. It's in like a special little bin. The kids know where their clothes are. They don't have to go upstairs to get them. And it, 
I don't know. It's really worked out for us. I love it. I think it's genius. I think Mandy Amen, I'm not sure if I said her last name right. She used to have a family closet. It was like right where the laundry was. Yes. And everybody just had a spot and they would just put all their clothes there, which I thought was also genius. So I think so there's so smart. many ways we can be creative and yeah. just save moments here and there that we can use to 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 dance. Um, and to yeah. dedicate to our different passions. Um, yeah. So you recently wrote a book with Haley Morgan called Wild and Free that yes. touches on some of the topics that we've talked about. Tell us a little bit about your motivation behind the book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we really, Haley and I kind of started comparing um, this exact issue. Like, man, women seem really caged and specifically the women of God seem really caged and trapped by all of these um, conceptions that, that are placed on us about what we should be or who we should be or what we should be doing or what we should be like. And it kind of seems to change from culture to culture. And that doesn't really feel like that's what God wants for us. Like that doesn't really feel like God's best for us that, that we would, um, you know, have to shift who we are constantly, um, to be seen as good when there's, there's these really beautiful biblical mandates about how we should live wisely and how we should, how we should grow and how we should live as holy. But then we're kind of putting all these extras on. So, um, we really began using the phrase wild and free to encourage one another. Um, when we could kind of tell someone needed to step out in that, um, and step out into that freedom, outside of cultural expectations. And, um, then we just started asking ourselves, like, is this, is this just us? Is it just us feeling this way? Um, or is this maybe something other women need to hear? And so we wrote the book as what we call an anthem really for women to be able to say that they already are wild and they already are free. We didn't write it as a to-do list to become those things, but to say like, um, you know, when God made us in, in, um, in the garden, he said, good. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, done. And so in between those two pronouncements, we can, um, there's a lot of identity and there's a lot of freedom. Um, and we can kind of come, we can kind of proclaim those over us rather than tell women how to become more like something. Um, so that's really what the book is. It's an anthem. It's, it's kind of a, a way for women to change the language about speaking about themselves or their lives or about um, God's role in their life. And it's been just a, so much of a joy to share with people and share um, with the women of God. So I love it. The, the, the subtitle of the book is A Hope-Filled Anthem for the Woman Who Feels She Is Both Too Much and Never Enough. Man, I mean, that just nails it, I think, for so many women. And um, I just love the heart and the concept of the book and that you wrote it kind of from two different perspectives, yours mm. and, and, and Haley's. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so powerful. So for the, the mom listening right now, if she picked up your book, what is she going to walk away from? Walk away with? Oh, yeah. Well, she might. Yeah, she might walk away from laundry. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, um, I hope that she's going to walk away with, um, a big pat on the back. <laughs> like, um, well, I hope she's going to walk away with both. You know, we say that Haley is kind of like the, there, there, like, it's okay. You're doing a good job. And I'm more of the like, let's go. So I hope she's going to walk away with both. I hope she's going to walk away with like a pat on the back from a sister and from the Lord saying, you know what? Like, um, let's really take a minute and think about how God sees you. 
Um, I think that one of the most powerful things we can ask other women is like, how do you picture God seeing you right now? Do you picture him like mad or angry or frustrated or with his arms crossed or just waiting for you to get your joint together? Do you picture him like seeing you covered in the blood of Jesus mercifully, graciously and, um, wanting good for you and believing, um, believing in the best for your future and, um, calling you to good things. And so I would, I would want her to just take a second to really be able to see, um, the, the way the Lord sees her. And then on top of that, I would say that when we really soak that in and when we really, um, swallow that whole, it, it points us to something, which I think is the wild part. It points us and it leads us and it compels us then to do something, um, to mission, to love other people, to love our kids, um, to bring freedom to other women. And so I hope she'd take both away for sure. I love it. Where can they find the book and where can they find you online? They can find the book anywhere, just anywhere. Amazon, Lifeway, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, um, specifically there's a website for the book called wearewildandfree.com and it has the book, but also lots of resources, videos and guides. If you want to lead a Bible study, that kind of thing. Um, and online, I'm Jess A. Connolly on all the things, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and my website is jessconnolly.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Thanks, Cannon, for his special guest <laughs> appearance. And yes. thanks to your husband for, you know, kind of managing him. And uh, yes. just appreciate your time so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiretoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble king. And in this place, my heart begins to sing. It's gonna be a good day, a good day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercies. May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in His way by His Spirit with each breath that I take. It's feeling like a good day.